0: Welcome, everyone, to Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I am your host, Teresa Signorelli, and we are bringing you information about the five areas of child development, and by that we mean physical, intellectual, social, emotional, emotional, and moral, so parents can empower their children to thrive. So today we are entitling our episode, Get That Mouth in Shape, The Scoop on Pacifiers, Thumb Sucking, and Mouth Toys. Now, a lot of us don't think about um, how a child's mouth develops, and even me as a speech-language pathologist, and that's a lot of what I do, um, or I'm more the language and cognitive person, but that speech part really involves that mouth developing, and that's also really important um, in how well children can take in nutrition and eat, and we call that feeding. And it really affects then speech production, that motor skill of producing language, down the line. So what um, we're doing today is I have Diane Barr back with us again today. She is a feeding specialist and a speech-language pathologist, and she's going to talk to us about the process of mouth development, common problems that come up, and best practices. And we're going to talk about the pros and cons of those ever-present pacifiers and um, also the habit of thumb-sucking, which a lot of children do. And we'll talk about how we can successfully wean children from these behaviors and set them on a really great path to good, healthy mouth development and and really so much more, as, as I just mentioned. So... Just quickly to give you an update about Diane, as I mentioned, she's a speech language pathologist and she's specifically trained in feeding and oral sensory and more. Um, sorry, oral sensory and motor treatment, and she has a good 30 years plus experience. And she's also an author of two books. One is a. Um, One is called Oral Motor Assessment and Treatment, Ages and Stages, and that is more of a textbook for professionals. But she has a really wonderful book that we'll be bringing up through our talk today um, that professionals can use, but it's also really for parents. It's very parent-friendly and very helpful. And that book is called Nobody Ever Told Me or My Mother That, Everything from Bottles and Breathing to Healthy Speech Development. And she's also been um, working in higher education, teaching undergraduate and graduate courses. And she's also done a lot, um, and we'll talk about this later too, with continuing education for professionals and training parents as well. And um, we'll talk more about... um, some of the things she does, but before I introduce her, one more thing. She's got a wonderful website called Ages and Stages where she has tremendous information for parents, so we'll talk about that through our talk, and I'll have a link up there. And if you want to learn more about and from her, you can also come back to the archives of our show. As I said, Diane's been with us. Our first talk was called Feeding 101, What the Baby Food Jars Don't Tell You, and then we had a follow-up segment called Feeding 102 sippy cups, bottles, and straws, oh my, and um, we addressed a lot of great issues there. So this is kind of, I guess, maybe the 301 course, we might say, and we're going to be talking, as I said, about pacifiers, thumb-sucking, mouth toys, and how the mouth develops and how we can help that. So without further ado, let's welcome Diane.
1: Hi, Diane. How are you doing? Hi, Teresa. I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me again.
0: Yeah, thanks so much. This is this is great. I've just learned so much by doing these talks with you. Because oh, as thank I said, you. I'm honored. Oh, great. I mean, I'm a speech-language pathologist also, but I deal more with the language and the cognitive and the learning part of communication. Your end is more about the motor and the speech and that physical production and the feeding. Um, so um, that's why for right. me it's been so nice to be able to do these shows with you. So we're talking about mouth development, so why don't we start off with talking about maybe the most common concern you find parents have regarding a child's um, developing mouth.
1: Well, with so many older children wearing braces, having palatal expanders, and being diagnosed these days with even sleep apnea, parents want to know what they can do from an early age to help their children have the best possible mouth And also airway development. I'll talk a little bit about the airway as well as the mouth. Okay,
0: great. And so what is it that parents are surprised to learn regarding mouth development?
1: Well, parents often don't know that a significant amount of mouth development, or maybe they don't realize it, I'm not sure which, uh, a significant amount of mouth and airway development occurs in the very first year of life when the structures are really growing very rapidly. Um, Even dentists, um, I'm not saying they don't know this, but parents don't often take their children to dentists until about a year of age. So there's a whole year where there's a lot of things happening. So as we discussed in previous interviews, mouth and airway development are interconnected because they share common structures such as the hard palate or also known as the roof of the mouth. Parents can make a difference in how their mouths and how their children's mouths—not their mouths, but maybe theirs too—but how their children's mouths and airways develop by the feeding processes they use and by the mouth play that they encourage. And we're going to talk. We talked about feeding processes in the last two interviews. Today we're going to talk about mouth play.
0: Okay, and I think if anybody has seen a baby or pictures a baby in their mind, you know their hands are in their mouth, their feet are in their mouths. If they can grab anything, <laughs> boom, it goes in the mouth. So um, so let's talk about that.
1: Let's Why yeah. is that? So let's
0: talk about that process, the process of mouth development. And maybe you can um, begin by, like I just said, that hand, boom, goes in the mouth. What about that hand-to-mouth mm-hmm. connection?
1: Right. In Chapter 4 of my book, Nobody Ever Told Me or My Mother That, I talk about, it's a whole chapter on the hand-mouth connection. Hands and mouths work and develop together from birth. Now, this begins with the hand-mouth reflexes with which babies are born. And parents see these reflexes, they just may not know what to call them. But there are three of them in particular where the hands and the mouth work together. One is the mental, one is the babkin, and the other is the grasp. Parents mostly notice the grasp response. But let's talk about the other two as well. When you touch a baby's palm of the hand, the mentalis, it's a little muscle under the lower lip, is activated. And this muscle helps to purse the lips for the latch. Hmm. So here the hand and the mouth are working together. Also, when you press into the baby's palm of the hand, the baby's mouth opens eyes closed, and head moves forward, which helps with feeding. And parents do this kind of naturally. Nurses actually know about these reflexes, so they get them going uh, when they're helping parents with feeding processes. Um, Here's the third one, which parents know. When you place your finger in a baby's palm, the baby grasps the finger. But did you know that the grasp tightens as the baby sucks? And this is thought to be maybe a holdover from when we were hunter-gatherers and, uh, you know, moms carry their babies around all day in slings on the front of the body and so the grass may have tightened as part of the feeding process when the baby was breastfeeding. Um, The baby's hand-mouth connection, as you said, can be seen all the time and even on ultrasound you see babies' feet in their mouths, their hands in their mouths, their thumbs in their mouths, you know, even before birth. So that's a little bit about the hand mouth connection from birth. So um
0: so if if your child if you're trying to breastfeed your child, if you if you held or impressed into the palm of their hand, would that help them get a better seal on, on the breast?
1: Yes. Um uh-huh. nurses often have parents do this in order to get the head in a good position. Or okay. mom do it. <laughs> Not that. Very good. You know, I I want to say nurses know this and
0: maybe there might be a toy company or two. Is there I I want to say there's a doll out there where if you press <laughs> the hand yeah. it probably makes the head do something. I don't know, um, but that might be well, a good I mean, idea. I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> Okay.
1: so There's a great um, marketing idea. <laughs> it could be.
0: It could, it could be a nice anatomical model for those of us in um, speech pathology, OT, and nursing in yes. medical school maybe.
1: Yes, pediatricians, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about
0: what you say in your book about the development of mouthing. Um, what What do you say there that would be helpful for parents?
1: Well, babies go through a developmental mouthing process during the first two years of life. I'm going to talk mainly about the first year because this is information parents really don't have. They don't really know usually that there's a process kids go through in mouthing their hands, their fingers, toys, and so forth. Uh, we start with a period of generalized mouthing um, from birth until five, about five to six months of age. And this is where babies, they suck on their fists, fingers. Um, but most of this mouthing is right near the front of the mouth, and babies do this to calm themselves. Um, Pacifiers are also near the front of the mouth for calming when people use them. Um, Around three months of age, babies gain increased control over this mouthing process, and this is a time when parents can really help babies start to move from a pacifier, if they're using one, to more appropriate mouth toys. Um, so parents will hold a mouth toy and we'll talk about what those will be or what could they could be, and the baby will suck and bite on the toy. By about five to six months of age, however, babies begin a very important process called discriminative mouthing. Now, a baby needs an appropriate mouth toy or mouth toys in order to explore the toy now throughout the mouth. And we'll you're going to um, Ask me a little something more specific about this in a minute, I think. So we'll Mm -hmm. talk about what those toys look like. This helps the baby develop sensory discrimination within the mouth that he or she will ultimately use, like you mentioned, for food manipulation and speech. So they're going to be able to start feeling things throughout the mouth with this discriminative mouthing process. Many parents right. don't know about discriminative mouthing. And when you just put a pacifier in it, and I'm not against pacifier use. I, I believe in correct pacifier use um, if babies need that. Um, but if you don't have this discriminative mouthing process beginning at five to six months, then babies are missing some really important mouth experiences that we'll be talking about. And many toy manufacturers don't really know, I don't think, I don't think they're aware of this part of the process because most toys that are out there mouth toys are only appropriate for generalized mouthing near the front of the mouth not the discriminative mouthing
0: okay okay yeah so continuing with that thought of discriminative oh my gosh discriminative discriminative mouthing this happens all the time and I say I'm a speech pathologist you'd think I could pronounce things but I can't always discriminative mouthing um and that like you said, toy manufacturers don't really provide the appropriate types or maybe range of mouthing toys. So what would you, right. tell us what you mean a little bit more about um, this discriminative mouthing and what right. appropriate toys might look like.
1: Okay. Well, discriminative mouthing is when a baby uses the mouth kind of like a third hand to explore their hands, their fingers, their mouth toys, Um, You know, when we get into foods, they'll be exploring foods with that. The toys need to be large enough so the baby won't swallow or choke on them. They need to be safe, but small enough so the baby can move the toy throughout the mouth, not just near the front. Um, These toys are often triangular in shape. They have things, here's a word I have to work on, called protuberances, (laughs) and that means something that, that juts out so the baby can move it around the mouth but not gag the baby. So it has to be short enough so it won't Mm -hmm. gag the baby, but long enough to go throughout the mouth. Um, For young babies, I like ARC's, and this is a company, ARC's Baby Grabber. ARC also puts out Deborah Beckman's Tri-Choose, which is a triangular toy um, with different textures on each end. And I like the Chewy Q from Chewy Tubes. Chewy Tubes is another company. Um, Both ARC and Chewy Tubes items are made in the USA from FDA-approved materials. I provide information in my book on where to purchase them. Um, However, you know, parents, if you know what to look for, you can buy some of these toys right in the store. Um, For example, you know those small baby keys, not the large ones, the small ones you'll often see in the grocery store, they're really nice for moving all around within the mouth. Uh, the lively links have nice texture on them. They're also good for discriminative mouthing.
0: Right. Okay, good. And so um, in the mouth, we always know children are developing their teeth and we always hear about babies teething. So maybe we can talk about that connection and how mouthing right. and teething are related.
1: Yes, mouthing and teething are very interrelated. And I've had so many parents come to me as a feeding therapist and say, I don't give my child this or that because they don't have any teeth. Well, if kids don't have things to bite on, guess what? They're probably not going to get teeth and their jaw is not going to develop properly. (laughs) So Mm. mouthing is an important part of the teething process. The primary teeth mostly emerge during the first two years of life, maybe even up to 30 months, um, mouthing, biting, and chewing on safe and appropriate toys and foods when, when the time comes to introduce appropriate food textures really seems to be crucial to the emergence of teeth. And I've seen this clinically a lot. We see many children today who go through prolonged periods of sucking on pacifiers and thumbs, and there's nothing wrong with that, Early, birth to three months, pacifiers and thumbs are are good calmers, but they don't get appropriate mouthing, biting, and chewing experiences. Um, We also are seeing many children whose teeth do not seem to be coming in on time and not in a proper sequence. There's a sequence that you can check, you know, on tooth Mm -hmm. development in, in my book that tells you what that proper sequence is. So in my experience as a clinician and, and the research I've done in writing books and things, um, children need to bite and chew on toys and appropriate foods in order to get teeth.
0: Right. So you had mentioned that birth to three months, that the pacifier and the thumb are good. And and at what point should we introduce the variety of different types of items to be chewing on?
1: Mm-hmm. Like uh, so about when? Three, I, I, Well, I like to start with like the Beckman try chew around three months with Mm -hmm. the parent holding the try chew with the baby. Because the baby at three months might not have the hand-mouth control to really mouth that item. But by five or six months, that baby can mouth items on his or her own without Mm -hmm. parental assistance, a typical child. So uh, I like to start at three months. And I'm going to be giving you pacifier guidelines. So okay. it depends on whose guidelines you follow what you do with the pacifier but there are some guidelines and some fucking guidelines that I'm going to I'll tell you about so that'll kind of pull this together.
0: Okay. So we're seeing that um they really do need a variety of instruments so to speak or toys to chew on so we get um good emergence of teeth in the proper sequence um so I guess that's an area for problems and let's I guess talk about what common problems there are in mouth development okay. and you know what, what what are they and what can parents do about them and maybe we can start talking about you had mentioned the the um the roof of the mouth, that palate. Um what are some uh-huh. issues that, that come around there? Okay.
1: We talked about this in the other interviews as well because it is just so important. Um, High, narrow palate, or the roofs of the mouth, usually, um, if they're high and narrow, usually cause the child's nasal and sinus areas to become smaller than usual. This, because we don't often think of the roof of the mouth going up into the nasal and sinus area, but if it becomes high and narrow, that's where it goes. This makes the child's airway, nasal airway, smaller and more difficult to clear, Um, so this can contribute to unhealthy mouth breathing. Mouth breathing is always an unhealthy process. We get different chemicals stimulated in the body when we nose breathe. We um, metabolize oxygen better when we nose breathe. I mean, there's nothing really healthy about mouth breathing. Um, Also, we might see more allergies in these children, sinus problems, and sleep apnea. Um, Mm -hmm. Hi, now... Wait, Diane, let me jump in for one second. So with the mouth breathing...
0: So we mean we ideally we want the mouth closed so air is coming out yes. the nose. And so if the child's right. breathing with their mouth open, that that's an unhealthy situation.
1: Very, very and, unhealthy. And, and is
0: that a cross-development always? Um, yes. Okay. Yes. And so if they're breathing with their mouth open, that's a sign they, they could have a cold or there could be muscular issues at hand um, as well.
1: Right, and it puts the uh, mouth in a, you know, the tongue in a position in the bottom of the mouth where the, t- and we'll get into this too. The tongue actually helps to keep the hard palate shape when the mouth is closed at rest. Mm-hmm. But you know, mouth breathing, the first thing people do. is orofacial myofunctional therapists, for example, we'll talk about them. Um, when they're working with individuals, say, even adults that have sleep apnea, is to try to get the mouth closed and get the person nasal breathing comfortably. And a lot of times there needs to be ear, nose, and throat intervention and those kinds of things. So nasal breathing is really, really crucial for health. So um, back to high-narrow palates just for a second, and then we can go on. Um, High neural palates usually result from low tongue resting postures. So, like you said, if there's something wrong with the muscles, like with children with Down syndrome, where their mouths tend to hang open at rest unless somebody's working with their jaw, um, then the tongue just rides along with that lower jaw, and those kids often mouth-breathe. So we work with that population to try to keep their mouths closed at rest. Um, It's important for... Typical babies to have their mouths closed at rest throughout the day to keep the tongue in that appropriate position we just talked about so that it helps to maintain the palate shape. Because remember, the hard palate is kind of soft and malleable in that first at least six months. So it's the tongue that helps to keep um, the palate shape. Breastfeeding is also another nice natural way To maintain the palate shape, because the breast is drawn deeply into the baby's mouth to fill the palate area when the baby's feeding. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, bottle feeding does not provide the same benefit. Um, Although I'm not against bottle feeding, I provide information in my book about appropriate bottle feeding, as we talked about in the other interview, one of the other interviews. Additionally, in my book, I have a jaw activity where parents can play with their baby's mouth and do a specific jaw activity that may help to maintain the palate shape and also assist with the growth of the lower jaw. Uh, the lower jaw in the newborn baby is pulled back or retreated, and through that first year, that lower jaw is growing forward if the baby's getting appropriate mouthing, biting, and chewing experiences.
0: Okay. So <clears throat> that is a big part, the jaw where you're teeth are embedded can lead to problems. People might have heard of having an overbite or an underbite. What can you what can you tell us about these issues? Right.
1: And these issues often aren't really addressed until children are a little bit older, you know. Um now orthodontists are working with children earlier and earlier and there are some mm-hmm. other special dentists that will even work with babies um and you don't have to wait till your child is older. There's all kinds of new stuff coming up in dentistry to help with this. But in my experience, babies who suck excessively, without I'm not saying sucking bad, but when that's really the main pattern they're using in the mouth, without these other mouthing experiences of biting and chewing, you can get overgrowth of the upper jaw, which can lead to an overbite. And you can see this within the first year happening. You can get limited growth of the lower jaw, which leads to something people call a weak chin, but also, if that lower jaw does not grow forward, it doesn't keep well it doesn't help with airway development. The lower jaw coming forward is important for another part of the airway, the airway that's located behind that jaw okay mm-hmm. um, so the lower jaw seems to require biting and chewing experiences, as we previously discussed, to grow forward. Um, Overbites, that's where the top front teeth are too far in front of the bottom teeth, or overjets, where the top jaw is too far in front of the bottom jaw. Um, Open bites, there's an opening between the top and bottom teeth. Uh, It looks like a hole between those teeth. Um, Mm -hmm. There's sometimes open bites on the side of the teeth, too, Um, these usually come from some form of what we call a tongue thrust swallow. Now, tongue thrust swallow, in my opinion, is never a normal thing. Little babies suckle and suck, and it involves some front-back tongue movement. But you'll hear tongue thrust swallow, which in my book is an abnormal swallow, um, also referred to as reverse swallow or exaggerated tongue protrusion. It's an unsophisticated form of the swallow where the tongue moves forward in the mouth, often against the front teeth, to start or begin the swallow. What should be happening is the tongue tip on a mature swallow, and we see this in children as young as 12 months. We talked about this in our, another interview. Um, the tongue tip on the swallow should be rising to the ridge behind the top front teeth to initiate or start the swallow. So overbites, overjets, open bites, often related to this um, immature or unsophisticated swallow called a tongue thrust that some children develop. And certainly pacifiers, thumb sucking, can contribute to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Underbites are where the bottom teeth or the bottom jaw protrudes in front of the top teeth and jaw. So you know where a jaw, like... Um, Marlon Brando, if anybody remembers him in The Godfather, um, he had a protruded lower jaw. Okay. Cross bites are where top and bottom teeth cross each other and they don't fit together properly. And closed bites are where teeth meet edge to edge. And these usually result from jaw development issues, where the child did not get enough jaw experience, the biting and chewing we were talking about, uh, right. and keeping the cl- mouth in proper alignment at rest. So an open mouth posture can contribute to that. Right. Um, so I I, I'm going to go jump ahead. in
0: for one second, and sure. you've, you've done a nice job. You've done a yeah. nice job describing some of these things, but I'm sure you have really beautiful pictures in your book that parents could reference. <laughs> and parents could always, I'm sure, Google uh, what these yeah. things look like um, for Let's reference as well. go online
1: and look, look them up. And you'll hear them called different classes of occlusion, I'm just speaking in general parent terms right now. Right. But if you look right. up overbite, underbite, overjet, you'll see them.
0: Okay, great. Okay, so um, the underbites, um, was there anything else that you wanted to address with the bites?
1: <laughs> well, I just wanted to say that typically the top and bottom jaws are supposed to come together, where the top teeth are supposed to just be slightly in front of the bottom teeth with the molars meeting properly in the back of the mouth. It's kind of like a lid fitting a container, as described Mm -hmm. by one of my colleagues, Marge Ferran, who's an oral facial myofunctional therapist. Mm -hmm. So in Chapter 8 of my book, now, I don't want parents to go running out and buying my book. Well, I do want you to go out and run (laughs) run out and buy my book. But (laughs) I don't want you just to buy my book for Chapter 8, although my publisher would maybe not be happy about that. Most of the book is for birth to three, okay? But Chapter 8 does have a really good description about all these things we're talking about in terms of face Mm -hmm. and mouth development from birth all the way through adolescence. So if you can use the birth to three information as well as the total mouth development information, please buy the book.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. it's a wonderful reference. I have it. Um, And it's, the pictures are wonderful. It's laid out very um, in a very organized in a very organized way. It's it's very user-friendly. It's very user-friendly.
1: Right. And chapter nine, um, talks about the professionals that we're going to be speaking about to here and what they do. Right,
0: right. Well, um, we'll continue with that. So we've discussed some of the problems that uh, children might encounter with mouth development. So let's talk a little bit about what parents can do to either hopefully prevent any of these issues or resolve them. So who should they be talking with? With with whom should they be consulting? Uh
1: mm-hmm. Um. Parents can help prevent problems with mouth development by tracking their children's mouth development from birth, but, you know, not everybody has been able to do that or has the information to do it. Um, Also, prevention can occur by using appropriate feeding and mouth development activities, as we've talked about in our interviews. Um, As you know, um, I want parents to have the information that we as therapists have so that they can use appropriate feeding methods and mouth play methods. So that's why we're we're doing these interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if a parent has not had the opportunity to encourage good mouth development from birth, I don't want this to be a guilt trip <laughs> for, for you guys. Um, I, that's when you say, well, maybe I, I'm seeing some of these things developing in my child underbite, overbite, whatever. Um Go to Chapter 8 and look at where your child is in development. And if there is a problem, that's when you need to go see an appropriate individual, a specialist. And mm-hmm. so would you like me to talk about who they are? Yeah, let's talk about those. Okay. Um, there are many specialists available to help parents and their children with this process when problems arise. And uh, the one we mostly know is the orthodontist. Um, But there are oral sensory motor specialists like myself who specialize in jaw function. So, you know, we're some people who can, you know, give some information about this, at least get parents started in the process. Another group that's very important to know about are the orofacial myofunctional therapists. And these individuals work specifically on the resting tongue position, uh, the resting mouth position, and the appropriate swallow. So that tongue thrust we talked about, that's their specialty. And Mm -hmm. they work in conjunction with orthodontists, dentists, oral surgeons, and otolaryngologists, also known as ear, nose, and throat doctors, to help resolve many of these mouth development problems. Um, an oral sensory motor specialist like myself, as I said, I specialize in really looking at the jaw and feeding. If the jaw is not doing what it's supposed to do, then the lips and tongue won't do what they're supposed to do. So that's why I've really looked at the jaw in particular, and we've talked a lot about the jaw. Um, there are dentists in addition to the orofacial myotherapist, myofunctional therapist. Um, there are dentists now who are specializing in what's called orthotropic work. That they, they work with every age child, and there are other ones, it's the pediatric ones, that is, um, and there are other ones called functional jaw orthopedists. So okay. the dental professional is really getting into, the pediatric dental professional is really getting into the mouth and airway development. So there's a lot more help now than there used to be
0: right right which is wonderful um and i think the the one thing that popped into my head as you were mentioning the specialist and you're a speech language pathologist but you really focus on these oral sensory motor um issues and and general development and uh, families might be um be working with a speech language pathologist for general language and more general speech issues but if you would want that clinician to have a real Focus and specialty and training in these oral motor sensory issues, if these um, if that's a big concern and a big part of the the problem.
1: Right, and and the oral there um there's a group called the International Association of Orofacial Myology. Myology. Um, I'll talk a little bit about what's on my website in terms of resources. Uh, there are a number of groups now where the parents can go and actually find, especially oral facial myofunctional people to work with. Right.
0: Right, right. And I guess because, like I said, I'm a speech-language pathologist, but I'm more of the right. cognitive, intellectual functioning. If I had a family right. come to me who really had um, <laughs> uh, these oral um, um, and jaw issues, um, I would right. refer them to uh, a more specialized clinician.
1: Right, okay. and there are many speech-language pathologists who are also oral, facial, myofunctional therapists, and mm-hmm. they they usually have the letters, I think, C-O-M behind their name, but there are also many dental professionals who are oral facial myofunctional therapists. I have to be careful. That's a a mouthful to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So um,
0: I'd like to now talk about what I've been wanting to talk about for so long, um, (laughs) which are pacifiers and then, I guess, the related... behavior of thumb sucking and we know how popular pacifiers are um mm-hmm. with parents um mm-hmm. they, to soothe children um and they may also suck their thumbs for a similar purpose but right. as you said before um we're not necessarily against these um uh, these practices but there's pros and cons to them and there's a way to do them in appropriate ways and make sure we're not overusing a pacifier or a child's overusing the behavior of thumb sucking. So let's talk about that. What can you tell us?
1: Right. These things need to be put in their appropriate place. And, in our society that parents just haven't gotten the information about where that appropriate place is. And please don't be mad at your pediatrician for this, because your pediatrician may not know this appropriate place (laughs) for these things. But in Chapter 4 of my book, I provide parents with guidelines for appropriate pacifier use, thumb sucking, and finger sucking. Uh, As you said, Sucking can be very calming and soothing, and depending on the child and the child's personality, a child may need more sucking than another child. So, you know, these aren't bad things, especially in the first three months. Uh, With regard to pacifier use, there was a study of almost 500 children in the year 2000 that demonstrated a connection between long-term pacifier use and middle ear problems. And many pediatricians know this study. So that's why they're recommending parents not to use pacifiers long-term with their children. Um, So in my book, I recommend guidelines for pacifier use based on this study. Um, In my opinion, pacifier use is most appropriate for calming babies, and I emphasize the word calming, from birth to five or six months of age. Um, but you can stop earlier if the child doesn't need it. I mean, you can't always be putting your finger in a child's mouth to soothe and calm them if they need extra sucking. Um, and, but I also think it's important for a child not only to use a pacifier if they need it, but to ha- be given an opportunity to self-calm with their own hands during this time. I mean, that's, we all need to be able to calm ourselves. Um, And also, keep in mind, a calm child doesn't need a pacifier, thumb-sucking, or digit-sucking if they're calm. Now, sometimes uh, thumb-sucking and digit-sucking, which means finger-sucking, will continue because as kids get older, they find that these habits help to improve attention, focus, and concentration. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But when a child overuses a pacifier, here are the things it's limiting. It's limiting the child's opportunities for communication. And what I mean by that, the development of facial expression, you know, because they're only sucking, mm-hmm. cooing and babbling, and there's, you know, there's language and cognitive things that you specialize in. Right. And they're also, with sucking, only getting one type of mouth experience. They're not getting the generalized mouthing. They're not getting the discriminative mouthing. Okay. Now, by five, five to six months of age, the child should be using appropriate mouth toys for teething and discriminative mouthing like we talked about. Um, and this activity can also be soothing and calming. It can also increase attention, focus, and concentration. Think of it as an adult. What do you do to increase attention, focus, and concentration? You do something like maybe chew gum, take sips of water, drink from a straw, but you don't suck on pacifiers, stumps, or digits, hopefully, to calm yourself. Um, mm-hmm. So I even recommend to parents a good time for mouth toys is when they're looking at books with children because many times they'll chew and mouth the mouth toy while they're looking at books, and it might have them sit there a little while longer, you know, for attention, right. focus, and concentration. Right. Now, that, right, go ahead. Are you going to say something? Uh,
0: just little light bulbs are going off in my head. Sure. You mentioned <laughs> with this
1: uh, <laughs> you know, chewing gum
0: or some people may chew on yeah. a pencil. Um, exactly. I notice every time someone comes into my office to have a meeting, I reach for my tea or my coffee and I sip mm-hmm. it um, as I listen. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, I've been thinking, why do I – I've noticed I always do that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I'm really needing and wanting to pay good attention. So – Right. Um, that's a really good point. And children are doing the same thing.
1: They are. They need
0: them, and yeah.
1: so, let see, some kids get stuck on the pacifiers in the thumb. So Dr. Harvey Karp is a pediatrician who wrote the book. A lot of people know his work. He wrote a book called The Happiest Baby on the Block. Mm-hmm. And so back to the pacifier guidelines, he recommends that parents discontinue pacifier use at four to five months of age, which I think is perfect. (laughs) (laughs) But the study of almost 500 children where they looked at pacifier use and middle ear problems, they Mm -hmm. recommended that children be weaned from the pacifier between six and ten months. So this gives the parents a little more time. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason they did this, they they said this, is because beyond ten months of age, that's where the correlation occurred between middle ear problems and pacifier use in their study. And by the way, I encourage parents to follow the same guidelines for thumb sucking. Now, it's harder because thumbs and fingers are attached to the children, but we're going to talk a little bit about ways to wean children from pacifier and thumb and finger sucking.
0: Right, right. Um and I don't remember if we said we'd talk about this but um the middle ear problem is resonating yeah. with me in terms of you okay. know ear infections and uh, were general health issues but that also has an impact on speech development because when you have a middle ear infection yeah. you don't hear as well and children who are missing out on all that speech input from adults and in their environment it can impact and delay the onset um, of good speech and then language development. So um, it just, again, shows how everything is connected, the physical with it the is. intellectual, and that affects how you're going to interact with friends and family, so the social, emotional, right. emotional, et cetera. So it is, it's yeah, and a pacifier important.
1: in Yeah, right, and a pacifier in the mouth, you're not going to see those facial expressions and right. be able to have that c- cooling and babbling exchange. The middle ear infections, you can lose or even if it's not an infection but fluid in the middle ears because the mm-hmm. eustachian tubes aren't working well, can cause up to a 30% hearing loss. So it kind of sounds like you've got your fingers in your ears or you're listening to speech underwater. <laughs> it's, it's not very effective. No,
0: no, it's not. It's certainly not, or, or ideal, yeah. Right, yeah. exactly.
1: So, So you have a...
0: An eight-step process that you talk about for parents to help children be weaned from using the pacifier or sucking their thumbs or whatever other sucking behavior they may engage in. So, could you walk us through that? Um, and mm-hmm. maybe as mm-hmm. you do that, as you walk us through, maybe um, you know, talk about the tips you have for parents and how they can just decrease or eliminate um, mm-hmm. the um,
1: the those behaviors. Mhm. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I have an eight-step process in my book, so this okay. also could help parents of some older children who are still thumb-sucking and, um, and pacifier-sucking. Um, the eight-step process is for weaning children from pacifier thumb and other sucking habits. Um, the, key, sorry, the key is to find an appropriate toy or toys, mouth toys, to replace the pacifier thumb or the finger's when the timing is right. Now, if you have an older child, this is going to be a little more difficult because they're supposed to be out of those mouthing behaviors, but kids can still mouth some of the things that are available. There are, there are items made by Chewy Tubes and by ARC that older kids can mouth in the privacy of their home, um, especially when they're going to bed because that's when thumb sucking tends to keep going. Um, Weaning can be complete in some children as early as five or six months of age, uh, as suggested by Dr. Karp, and if you can wean early by, appropriate, by providing appropriate mouth toys, and then I'll tell you a little bit about that process, um, that weaning can be quite natural and a very easy process. It doesn't have to be a stubborn process, as many parents find. Later on, with thumb sucking and finger sucking, um, mouth toys used in, wean- used in weaning need to be something enjoyable and appropriate for the child. So, like I said, if somebody is a child is older, uh, they can use some things in the privacy of the home. They're not going to take a chewy tube bowl. Uh, right. In Chapter Five of my book, I have a chart with recommended mouth toys by age. Um, based on my clinical experience, because there's no research on this topic that I've been able to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as previously mentioned, I like Arc's Baby Grabber, Deborah Beckman's Tri Chews, which are also from Arc, and the Chewy Q from Chewy Tubes for Young Babies. And then I like a variety of products from Arc and Chewy Tubes as babies and people get older. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Arc and Chewy Tubes have a range of safe and appropriate mouth toys, and they're made in the U.S. with FDA-approved materials. So you okay. can find that information in my book um, or just look them up. Another key to the weaning process is to provide a pro- is to provide positive attention when the child is doing what you want them to do. So if they're picking up that new mouth toy and, you know, instead of putting the thumb or the digits in the mouth, um, smile at them. Say nice things to them, like, look at how much fun you're having with your toy. Um, Don't do – oh, sorry. Hold on just a second. (laughs) Let me gather my thoughts here. (laughs) Um, Take your time. uh, At first, I want to talk about uh, how much you have to praise the child, and then we're going to talk about what not to do. Um, At first, you want to praise the child a lot for using the math toy, you know, so you, you really bring attention to the new behavior that you're looking for. And over time, you won't have to do that so much because they'll be getting the habit of using the mouse toy in the way that they should be using the ways we talked about, and they're not going to need so much praise. Uh, it won't need to be constant. When you're he- helping children break some or digit-sucking habits, you should ignore the habit if you can, but don't ignore the child. So um, you can just act as if the child doesn't have the thumb in the mouth, you know, but when they pick up the toy, where you offer the toy, then you praise them and say nice things to them about how pretty they look or how handsome they are or whatever. I don't recommend bringing attention to the habit by saying, get that whatever it is, thumb, finger, whatever, out of your mouth. Um, even so if you, you, have don't, an older you child, don't think
0: I just want no. to just um just to be clear that you you don't you do not think that it's a good idea to say you know take that thumb out of your I, mouth or something like that
1: right and the reason I say that and even if say you have an older child who still is mouthing things and you want to move away from that mouthing habit because it's no longer appropriate for them to mouth but you're trying to replace it with like you said sips of a drink or something mm-hmm. else whatever right. behavior you're trying to replace it with you want to reinforce by looking at them, smiling at them, saying nice things to them. But mm-hmm. if you say stop that, get that out of your mouth, that can backfire big time because for many children it will inadvertently reinforce the behavior because while it's not attention maybe they like being told they're doing something wrong, it is still attention. Mm-hmm. So we, what we want to do is um, – Ignore the detrimental oral habit and praise what we want them doing, whatever it is. And for an older child who continues habits that we don't want them to have, um, you may have to sit down with that child. In fact, I recommend it and come up with some kind of a plan to move mm-hmm. them on from the habit. I mean, I had one mom who took my workshop who she and her kids buried the pacifiers in the backyard as kind of a rite of passage. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, I've had other mothers who they plan with a child to send the pacifier to a baby. Of course, they're not sending that pacifier. But, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it, as a rite of passage, giving it away or, or something. Parents can be very creative. Of course, we don't want the kid digging up pacifier out in the backyard and using it. <laughs> right. And it's it's important
0: uh, to work on this, weaning them in, in the right way at the right time, because there really can be negative ramifications when pacifiers right. are overused and when, when children suck their thumb too much. So why don't we talk about that, those negative consequences um, so parents have a good um, idea in their mind of what they're trying to avoid.
1: Right. Well, we call some and pacifier sucking and even um chewing on fingernails <laughs> later on. <laughs> uh we call that those detrimental oral habits. Um, when they continue be- beyond infancy. Those are habits, the sucking habits we really should have in infancy, and then we should move them on to more mature things like you described as we get older in order to bring attention, focus, and concentration if that's why we need them. Um mm-hmm. We've talked about low tongue resting postures, um, mouth breathing, open mouth. Um, We've talked about what that can do in terms of the palate and changing the shape of the palate, which then changes the shape of the nasal airway and how unhealthy all of that is. Uh, We've talked about tongue thrust swallow, and sucking patterns can encourage tongue thrust swallow. So uh, we even have straw programs in our profession to help kids move away from tongue thrust swallow into lip use on straws instead of putting that straw into the mouth. I mean, like you said, there's so much in our profession that we can't even begin to specialize in all of things. (laughs) Right. So I focus on this oral sensory motor piece, but really the answer to your question is that detrimental oral habits then often change structure and function in the mouth in ways we don't want to happen long-term because they're not healthy.
0: Right, right. So let's let's talk a little bit more about what you offer as a professional um, and maybe talk about your website, Ages and Stages. Um, why don't you talk about that a little? We, we've mentioned it on all the other shows, but it really is a wonderful resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, and parents, I have the the link up on the show's website on Blog Talk Radio, and that'll also be on the KidsA to Z dot com website soon. But why don't you tell us a little bit about what you offer on the on your website?
1: Sure. Our mission is to provide the best possible feeding, speech, and mouth development information for families and professionals. We do this through blogs, Q and A's, other formats. I mean, I've spent Probably the last year and a half half of my um, career, mostly volunteering and putting information out there for free for, you know, folks. Um, Our goal is to prevent feeding speech and mouth development problems when possible by helping parents keep their children on track developmentally, Um, and we work. You know, I really screen everything we put up. We put information by a lot of people up there because we want you to know what other people are doing. It's not just about the work that I do. But I really screen the information to be sure it's as evidence-based as possible. Um, I've worked with, you know, lots of children in the almost 35 years. Um, I've worked with typically typically developing children, a lot of developmentally disabled or children with developmental disabilities. Uh, But I mostly noticed that parents just don't have the information we as therapists have. And I think, Teresa, this is what you're doing too. You're trying to bring to parents information we have that they can use every day. So that's really our goal. And our website is www.agesandstages.net.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that is. That's, um, I think, why you and I have, Done a number of these shows together already. That we're kind of on the same page about getting good information out to parents, talking to the the primary specialist in any given area, Um, and so as much as actually this show is, I guess, initially intended for parents. Like I've said, I have learned so tremendously producing and hosting the show by interfacing and talking with all these really wonderful professionals. Um, and that's, and I, train profe- I train students at Marymount Manhattan College where I teach in the speech pathology program there. And I write trainings for um, uh, speech pathologists also who need their continuing education units. And that's something that you do as well. So maybe we can talk about those trainings that you do uh, for parents and, and professionals and, and how they can access them.
1: Sure. In addition to my two books, um, I've written a number of journal and popular articles. Uh, You can find those on the website as well. Uh, I've recently published my first e-course. This has been over two years in the making. And the topic is newborn and infant mouth development. And the e-course is entitled Everything You Need to Know About a Baby's Mouth for Good Feeding, Speech, and Mouth Development. So it really focuses on the newborn and what's happening in the first year in terms of mouth development. Not, I don't get into the detail about mouth toys and all that will be another course, um, but this really talks about what's happening in that first year with development. Mm-hmm. I think the course is particularly useful for new parents uh, because it talks about avoiding many of the pitfalls that occur in the first year of life. Um, the course... That's up there right now. Was originally developed as a continuing education course, like yours, um, for professionals. But I was really aware of presenting it in such a way that parents and care providers, if they're interested, can also benefit from it. Um, so I I did my best to make everything parent friendly.
0: Great, and and that's on your website. You said it is.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. It, just look under. We now have a new e-course tab and it will take you right to that e-course Great. as you go under under that, that tab. Okay.
0: So we're kind of coming to the close of our show, and we always like to end with getting the advice or the favorite advice that our experts and specialists have for families. It's our five fantastic facts for families. So <laughs> what can you tell us for safe and healthy and, and pleasant mouth development? What's your favorite advice? Okay.
1: So as I've said in previous interviews, I'm providing you, I'm providing the professionals, I'm providing the parents with educational information based on my years of experience and study, because I have topics as well, um, as a clinician, you know. Uh, I'm not providing medical advice. So here are five ideas I'd like you to take with you. And you've heard uh maybe one or two of these before. Uh, always talk with your pediatrician about the methods and techniques you're using with your child. Your pediatrician is your partner uh, in your child rearing and, you know, your pediatrician is your, your child's main doctor. And I feel like we... Uh, teach our pediatricians as much as they teach us often. So uh, if you go in with a method or technique, you might be telling your pediatrician about that method or technique, but I think it's just important to make them aware of of what you're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. Then, if possible, begin tracking and guiding your child's mouth development from birth. This, You know, I had a mom call me yesterday who's taking the e-course. Who She's a speech-language pathologist, but she also had a four-month baby in her lap. So mm-hmm. you know, this is going to be really fun for her because she's going to see this development up close and personal. Um, if you can track your child's mouth development from birth, you can avoid possibly, I can't promise, but possibly some very expensive orthodontic or other work later on. Uh, with JAWS in particular, we we see adults who have to have their jaws broken uh, and put in a, a better position. And so I'm not trying to scare parents about this, but if you can kind of stay on top of it, that's really good. Now, if right. you have an older child and you haven't done these things um, and you think your child may have some of these concerns we're talk, talking about with regard to mouth and airway development, go see the specialists that we talked about. Um, The oral facial myofunctional therapist. you know, um, I don't want to be just promoting one group, but as you pointed out, Teresa, we as speech-language pathologists, only some of us are trained in this area, and there are some of us who are trained in oral facial myofunctional therapy, and those are the ones who can look at the older kids and help the parents go in the right direction in terms of finding the right specialists. Right. I also want to say that heredity, plays an important part in a child's structural development. (laughs) I once had a parent come in and say, well, he's got an underbite, you know, he protrudes his lower jaw, but his dad protrudes his lower jaw, and every male in in dad's side of the family, right, blame it on dad, has this protruded (laughs) lower jaw. But um, that's not a reason to skip treatment, and with that child, he was already six years old, and we were able to do jaw work that corrected his jaw because he wasn't stuck in that underbite. So if you think your child has an underbite, an overbite, whatever, and it's something that seems to be running in the family, um, see an oral facial myofunctional therapist, a pediatric dentist, a pediatric otolaryngologist if you don't think your child's breathing well through the nose. Uh, Tonsils and adenoids come into play there too. Um, Or an oral yeah, or you know, an oral sensory motor specialist um, if you can find one who has the training. Yeah, and, and, and um, that's needed. And I might say sooner rather than later. You just
0: gave a story of a six year old. Ideally, I, if you go earlier, it would be easier to correct, uh, possibly less expensive to correct. And um, so
1: that would be, I would think, SAGE advice as well. Exactly. Thank you for making that point. I forgot to say that. <laughs> that <was> very good. <laughs> I meant to say that one too. Yes. The sooner you can go for treatment, the better. Um, so I always tell parents, you know, um, don't bury your head in the sand. Don't feel guilty about what you have or haven't done. You just didn't know this information before. So the mouth is developing up through adulthood. And there are growth spurts and things that I talk about in my book. So really, parents, you can go. Uh, That's why orthodontists are starting at seven and eight years of age. And uh, functional jaw orthopedists and orthotropic dentists are starting even earlier because the sooner the better uh, in treatment. And so finally, um, is there anything else, Teresa, you wanted to ask me before I give my final point? Um, No, I think that um, it was just that
0: age issue that kind of popped in my head as you were saying that. So, yeah.
1: Very important, very important. Okay, so on my website I have, I mentioned earlier, um, a lot of resources, but I have one that's a Websites and Companies Resource List. It's listed under my Book tab, and so you go to my Book tab, and then you'll go to, it says Parent Book, I think, the tab, and then you go down to Websites and Companies. And in that resource list, there's a whole section on mouth structure and function where you can find many of the resources we've been talking about today and just click on the links to go and explore them. Um, we're also working on a networking directory um, to help parents and professionals find one another uh, who are working in these areas, uh, oral sensory motor treatment, feeding, um, motor speech, uh, anything that's affected by sensory and motor function of the mouth. And we're working to pull together appropriate professionals in a network so that you can go onto the network and find somebody maybe in your area. That's really just getting started, but we have to keep adding to it. So if you're a professional, please be sure to sign up for the network and let parents know that you're there. And Yeah, that's a super the, feature. Yeah, and you can always contact me. I mean, don't everybody, you know, when I teach large groups, I say don't come on a bus to my house and contact me all at once. But, <laughs> but um, you know, you have my email on the website. Uh, it's ages, A-N-D stages at cox.net. So just be a little patient with me getting back to you because sometimes things get busy and hectic. But I do my best to get back to any questions parents have, any questions professionals have. And I spend a volunteer part of my week just doing that. So um, please contact me if there's something that you can't find. Great, thank you, (laughs) thank you for that,
0: and um, thank you again for for being such a wonderful guest, providing great information, and uh, and being a great colleague. Diane and I have had a lot of time (laughs) to talk back and forth about our field in general and and related projects. So it's it's been really nice. So. I encourage you to go to her website, see what she has there. And I I want to thank also everybody for tuning in. We also encourage the audience to send us information, send us your questions you'd like us to address on the show, send us um, topic suggestions, and even just general feedback. We welcome it. We really do. And you can send um, any of that to our email at info at kidsa to z dot com. That's info at kids a to z dot com. You can also follow us on Facebook, so we encourage you to go there. I'm also on Twitter, so I hope you'll do that, and that's at Dr. Teresa. And then we also have our kidsa to z dot com website, where we have a toy store uh, that's annotated, gives you suggestions and reasons why certain toys are good at certain times. And that is pretty much that for today's show. Again, I'm thanking everybody for tuning in, and have a great day.